he was impressed by how many times Jesus told people, whatever you ask in my name, ask in my name, ask. And at a point in his life, he and his wife launched into what we would call a daring experiment. They gave away all their household goods. Then they refused to take a salary from the small mission that he had been serving. He then set out to establish an orphan home to care for the homeless children there in England, the early 1800s. The first home was dedicated in a rented building on April 21st, 1836. Within a matter of days, he had 43 orphans that he was caring for. He decided that he and his staff, they would never solicit funds, they would never incur debt, no money contributed for a specific purpose would be used for any other purpose, all accounts would be audited annually, and no ego pandering by the publications of donors' names, and no names of prominent people would be sought for the board or to advertise the institution. They determined that the success of the orphanage would be measured not by the numbers served or by the amount of money taken in, but by God's blessing on the work, which Mueller expected to be in direct proportion to the time spent in prayer. When the first building was constructed, Mueller and his friends remained true to their conviction. The public was amazed that the second building opened six months after the first. Remember, they're doing this all without debt. They kept concentrating on prayer, and eventually there were five new buildings, 110 workers, with the capacity to be able to take care of 2,050 orphans at one time. Mueller not only counted on God to provide, but he believed that God would provide abundantly. For over 60 years, he recorded every specific prayer request and the answer that he got. He was responsible for 9,500 orphans during his lifetime. The children never once went without a meal. There's a classic story that's told about them sitting down to breakfast, no food, and they're giving thanks when the baker knocks on the door and gives them enough bread to feed everybody with some left over. And the milk truck broke down right in front of the orphanage. And so to make sure that the milk did not spoil, they gave it to the orphanage that day while they were praying for their breakfast. In his lifetime, now remember, he died in 1898, born in 1805. $7.5 million went through the orphanage. Now multiply that in today's numbers. And they never asked for a penny except God give us this day our daily bread. I share that story because as we are going to finish the message I started last Sunday in 1 John chapter 4, we come to verses 14 and 15. We talked last week about the things that we know. We started in verse 16, we read through verse 13 and and, and, and as John is wrapping up this letter to these churches in Asia Minor, being inundated with false doctrine and doubt being planted about the things that they've been taught, he wants to conclude this by declaring very strongly, these are some things that we know. And just in a way to review, the first three points are this. We know that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. The false doctrine being propagated 
indicated that Jesus was not. But we know. And it went beyond that, and I didn't leave enough room in your notes, but we know that he's the Son of God, and he's the promised Messiah that God promised from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden. He's the Son of God. Secondly, we know that we are now the children of God. Now we are the children of God um, because of what Jesus Christ did for us. The third chapter begins, beloved, we don't know what we're going to be, but we know this, that now we are the sons of God. We are the children of God. And then he said, we know that we have eternal life. We know. We know. Amen? We have eternal life, and that life begins now, and it will never end. Jesus said, he that believes in me will never die. This body will die. Somebody have to buy a box to put me in. I've already bought the hole in the ground. Haven't paid for the opening and closing. Whichever one of us goes first gets the bottom, and the other one gets to be on top. <laughs> Same hole. With this body will die, but to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord, we have eternal life. Today, the message is this. We know that God hears and answers our prayers. We know that God hears and answers our prayers. Verse 14 says this in 1 John chapter 4. And this is the confidence we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. We know. We know. When I was growing up and thought I needed something, I could go to my parents and ask for it. I don't remember being afraid to ask. And it's not because I was bold, because I'm not. I wasn't. I've heard kids these days walk up to virtual strangers and ask them for things. I, it doesn't compute with me at all. But with my parents, because I understood they loved me. They loved me. I had an ongoing relationship, and out of that relationship, I could ask for the things that I needed. I knew their hearts toward me. And I think that's what John is saying to us about our Heavenly Father. We have a confidence. We have a, a boldness to come before him with a request, our needs, knowing that he loves us. He's concerned about our well-being. God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to, he wants to be a part of our ongoing lives. We come before him with boldness, with confidence, because we can trust him. Hebrews 4, 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence or boldness draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Going to the 10th chapter of Hebrews, the 19th verse, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we come to prayer with boldness, not arrogance, but confident in the fact that he's my father. He's my father. The spirit bears witness my spirit that I'm able to cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I also came to an understanding early in my life that my parents would not give me everything I wanted because they were smarter than I am, and they loved me. They would not give me something 
that was not good for me. They would not give me something I was not ready to handle. By the same token, sometimes the Heavenly Father, he hears your prayer and he answers, but the answer is no or not yet. Grow up a little bit. Don't give the car keys to a 10-year-old. I don't even like to give them to a 16-year-old. I mean, the brain's not totally function until they're 25 years old at least. Sometimes the father says no. Sometimes the father says wait. But God always hears. God always answers. Fundamental truths, and I know these are very fundamental, but sometimes we need to be reminded of the fundamentals. He hears us. He hears us. He hears us. I love what the psalmist said, this poor man cried, and he inclined his ear to my cry. I love that picture. Now that I'm older and can't hardly hear, I have to incline my ear to hear the kids. God can hear, but what it says is he comes down to my level when I talk to him. He hears. When we pray in his will, we have what we ask for. When we pray in his will, we have what we ask for. That's what we just read. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And when we know he hears us, we have the assurance that we have what we are asking for. John makes it explicitly clear that the prayer according to the will of God is always here. That in one stroke demolishes all those concepts of prayer, which implies that prayer is a means of getting God to do our will. Prayer is never that. Prayer is a great privilege and a great responsibility. I'll repeat that. It is a great privilege and a great responsibility. We have the privilege of conversation with God and the responsibility to release his kingdom here on earth. Remember the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, pray in this manner, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. John Wesley went down in history, and the first time I read that statement, it, it shocked me. He said, God does nothing except an answer to prayer. And I had to think about that. It's not that God can't do anything he wants, but God has chosen to partner with us that we pray that his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth as in heaven. If we are to talk the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of the month, we could not exhaust everything that the Bible has to say about prayer. So I'm not going to try to cover it all. But I want to make some observations that I just felt that the Lord wanted us to look at today. There are numerous places in the scripture where we are told to pray. I just want to point out two or three of them. Luke 18, 1. And he told them, the disciples, a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. They ought always to pray and not lose heart. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to, the end, keep, to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. He made it much shorter when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica, Three words, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Live in an attitude of prayer, which brings me to, I just want to point out three levels of prayer. They're not the only levels of prayer, but three that are pretty common. First of all, is a prayer is a cry. 
prayer is a cry in the simplest form. The, the cry, the inner person this, to, to, to God in a moment of, of crisis. Sometimes it's even an involuntary thing. You just cry out, oh dear Jesus, oh God, help me. Oh God. All kinds of stories about people praying. You've, you've probably got all kinds of those on your stories. Oh God. When you thought you were going to be involved in an accident and suddenly, miraculously, you avoided it. And your next words were, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Prayer is not just a cry at a moment of crisis. Prayer is a conversation. It's a conversation. It's not just coming before God with a list of, like, nowadays you can go online and put your grocery list there and somebody will meet you in the parking lot at Fred Meyer or Safeway or Winco or even at Walmart, and they'll bring everything that you put on that and put it in your car for you. We are a spoiled people. Prayer goes beyond just bringing my list to God. Prayer goes to the point of listening to God. That's why it's really important to open your word when you're in your time of prayer at home. Because God speaks to us through the word. Amen? Prayer is a conversation. Better see, prayer is communion. Prayer is communion. The ultimate level of prayer is a lifestyle of communion with the Father. Classic book, Practicing the Presence of God. Practicing His presence. Remember in the garden, book of Genesis, God would come in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam and Eve, and they would talk. A time of communion and fellowship. That fellowship was broken by sin. But we understand that Jesus went to the cross, took our sins, nailed them to the cross. We sang about that in the third verse of It Is Well With My Soul. Nailed them to the tree, and I bear up no more. Why? So that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We just read, we can come into the presence of the Lord, and we can dwell there, having fellowship with God, aware of his presence. Every, how do you pray without ceasing? That doesn't mean that you're here in the church 24-7 on your knees before God. It means wherever you go, whatever you're doing, you're aware that he is here in me. He is with me, and he walks with me. He talks with me, and I talk with him everywhere. Prayer is not manipulating God. It is relationship with him. It is enjoying his presence all day long. Now, that's not to say we don't have specific times where we just focus and do nothing but pray. But prayer is a relationship. It's enjoying his presence all day long. Wherever you go, talking to the Father, listening to the Father, fellowship with the Father. He says, it's in this relationship we have confidence that he hears us. To know him, to know his word, so that we pray his will. And that his influence is on our life and in our circle of influence. How many of you feel like all your prayers have been heard and answered the way you thought they should be? Me either. Does that mean prayer doesn't work? Does that mean we're not called to pray? Does that mean we don't know how to pray? By the way, be careful of somebody giving you a formula.
prayer is conversations, relationship. It's talking to the Father out of the context of my heart and my understanding of the word and my understanding of who he is. There are some conditions, according to Scripture, in order to have my prayers heard and answered. And as you believe in the Scripture, I found 15 reasons why prayers are hindered. There might be more, but real quickly, I'm going to give you more Scripture today than I normally give in a message. Um, but I don't want you, I, I'm not giving you my opinion today, okay? I'm going to give you what the Word has to say. Number one, the first thing that we find that will hinder our prayers is disobedience. Disobedience. Disobedience to God. Deuteronomy 145. And you returned and wept before the Lord, but the Lord did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. Now this is the beginning of Moses' final speech to the children of Israel before he goes up on the mountain and God takes him and buries him. And he's encouraging this generation that's going to go with Joshua into the promised land and reminds them of the sins of their fathers at Kadesh Barnea. When they sent the spies in, God said, we're going to go across, and they said, we can't do it, we can't do it, and we're not going to do it. And then God got a little ticked at them. And so the next day, they try to repent, and they go to war, and they don't do well in war, and they wonder why. And this is what Moses is saying is, the problem was you disobeyed and you really didn't really repent. So God did not listen. 1 Samuel 28, 6. When Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. This is after Samuel has died. But remember, God had already rejected Saul from being king because he had disobeyed God earlier. Disobedience will hinder our prayers. So what happens if I disobeyed? Well, remember 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. There is a place of repentance. Number two, unconfessed sin, secret sin. Or Psalm 66, 18, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had one thing that I knew God didn't want me to do, but I just kind of, well, he's a God of grace, and I like this one, and so I'm just going to continue doing it. That goes back to disobedience, but this secret sin, if I cherished iniquity in my heart. Number three is indifference. Is indifference. Proverbs 124, and and when you go home and study these notes, that's what you all do, right? Read verses 24, 25, 26, and 27, the whole context here. But I just wanted to read the beginning and the end of the context. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. God said you've ignored me. I called you to dinner and you didn't answer. Verse 28 says, Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Number four, neglect of mercy. Neglect of mercy. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. Number five, despising the law. 
Proverbs 28, 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. When it talks about the law, that's referring to the scriptures. If he turns away from hearing the law, even his prayers, and that's a pretty strong word that Solomon gives us. Number six is blood guiltiness. Isaiah 1, 15. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. This is the beginning of the prophecies that Isaiah was given against um, Israel, the northern of the ten tribes, and against Judah, the tribe of Benjamin, for their idolatry, for their apostasy. And um, Isaiah had a message of judgment that was coming. He said, because of your blood guiltiness, blood on your hands, you have treated people the way they should not have been treated. Number seven, iniquity. Sin. Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he does not hear. That's why John tells us in 1 John, the first chapter, we need to walk in the light as he's in the light. Walk openly before the Lord. Then the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse us. But if I have sin, it goes back to the secret sin. It goes back to disobedience. Sin will cause God, it causes separation. Micah 3, 4 says this. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Number eight. Stubbornness. Zechariah 7, they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder, stopped their ears that they might not hear. Verse 13, as I called, they would not hear. So they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. Because they were stubborn. Number nine, instability. James 1, 6 and 7. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Ask in faith, not doubting. Number nine, 10, self-indulgence. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. God won't give you everything you want. Even though, well, never mind. God will give you what you need. God will bless you, providing you're putting God first. Isn't that what the scripture says? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. That's why we tithe. It wasn't part of the sermon, but first to the year, it's a good thing to know. We're declaring God, everything I have is yours. And I'm giving back this part because you asked me to, not because you need it, because I need it. I need to give it to you to understand that everything I have is yours, and I am a manager of what you've given to me. If you don't tithe, then you get, have the mindset, everything is mine. Um, maybe I'll preach on that some other time. Number 11, not God's will. Not God's will. 
2 Corinthians 12, 8, the Apostle Paul said, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. Pleaded with what? He said, I was given a thorn in the flesh by Satan. He blamed Satan for the thorn. And he prayed very specifically, very earnestly, that God would take it away. After all, this is a man who prayed for people to come back from the dead, and they did. This is a man who prayed for people, and miracles took place. And now he's got this thing in his flesh that indicates he's got a disability of some kind. God, take it away. You remember what God said? No. Paul, it's better that you have this thorn in the flesh because it's in your weakness that my strength is made perfect. I don't know if it's ever baffled you that we pray for some people and instantly God heals them. We pray for other people and they end up going to heaven. I don't understand it, but I understand this. I can trust God. He knows what's best for you, for me, for us. In Luke chapter 22, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Who's praying? Jesus is praying. If you're willing, remove this cup from me. What cup? cross did the father take away the cup not my will but yours be done prayer is a means of obtaining the will of God and is limited always by the will and the purpose of God Prayer is a means of obtaining the will of God and is limited always by the will and the purpose of God. God hears every prayer, but not every prayer will be granted because not every prayer is in God's will and God's purpose for you and me. Sometimes our prayers are ineffectual because our motives are wrong. We want what we want, but not what God wants. Perhaps this little prayer I came across illustrates what I mean. This is a prayer of a bride on her wedding day. Dear God, I can hardly believe that this is my wedding day. I know I haven't been able to spend much time with you lately with the rush of getting ready for today, and I'm sorry. I guess, too, I feel a little guilty when I try to pray about all this since Larry isn't a Christian. But, oh, Father, I love him so much. What else can I do? I just couldn't give him up. Oh, you must save him somehow, some way. You know how much I've prayed for him in the way we've discussed the gospel together. I've tried not to appear too religious, I know, but that's because I don't want to scare him off. Yet he isn't antagonistic. I can't understand why he hasn't responded. Oh, if he was only a Christian. Dear Father, please bless our, bless our marriage. I don't want to disobey you, but I do love him, and and I want to be his wife. So please be with us, and please don't spoil my wedding day. <laughs> Sounds like a sincere and earnest prayer, doesn't it? <laughs> Except when you read what Paul said in Corinthians, did not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. So if we condense her prayer to what she's really saying, it could sound more like this. Dear Father, I don't want to disobey you but I must have my own way at all costs. For I love what you do not love, and I want what you do not want. So please be a good God and deny yourself, move off your throne and let me take over. <laughs> if you don't like this, then I'll ask, all I ask is that you bite your lip and say or do nothing that will spoil my plans and let me enjoy myself. You said, Pastor, that's pretty brutal. But when I'm praying my will instead of the Father's will, that's what it boils down to. Unforgiveness, number 12. 
unforgiveness. 523, Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. If you are offering your gift at the altar, remember if you're bringing a sacrifice, ask God to forgive you of your sins. Sometimes we forget what offerings were in that day. They were a whole lot different than putting your offering in that box back there. It's bringing an animal, laying your hands on it, slitting its throat, letting the blood pour out. He said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, stop what you're doing, leave your gift, and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 6, he gives us the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, depending on which translation you read. And you know what the next verses say after somebody put in there, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And then if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Thank you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How are you doing so far? Men, hold on to your seat. Number 13, disrespect to your wife will hinder your prayer. 1 Peter 3, 7, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. I'll move on. Sometimes our prayers are not answered because we give up too soon. We just give up too soon. Luke eleven eight. Jesus told the parable of the man who goes to his neighbor in the middle of the night and said, I've got company. I don't have enough food to feed him and I need to show him hospitality. And he keeps knocking on the door even though he's in, the guy said, I'm in bed with my kids. And verse eight says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. Ask, seek, knock, keep asking, keep seeking, Keep knocking. How long do you pray until you get a clear answer? Luke 18, 5. He told a similar story about a woman who had been unfairly treated by a judge and, and she's looking for things to write. Because this widow kept bothering me, this judge said, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Jesus told the story, not to say that you have to beat God down to get the answer, but that you keep praying and you keep asking, you keep believing until you see the answer. Matthew 15, 27, a, a, a beautiful experience uh, that the disciples watched. This Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and said, my, my little girl, is she's got a, a spirit in her and... and you need to heal her. You need to cast the spirit out of her. Jesus looks at her and says, you're a Gentile. It's not right to give the children's bread to the dogs. That's what the Jews called the Gentiles was dogs. And she responded with this faith. She, I mean, she's put down in one sense. But evidently, there was something in the tone of Jesus' voice. She continued to press on. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Remember Jesus' response? I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. Keep on pressing in. 
Matthew 17, 21, and the King James Version says this, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That's when Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration and part of the disciple group had been trying to cast the demon out of a, a young boy and they were not able. And Jesus spoke and the demon left. In the King James Version, they put this verse in, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Sometimes God just calls on us to press in, to press in. You can read the story of Daniel. For 21 days he fasted and prayed, praying for God to intercede. And if you read that story, when the angel comes, he said, God heard you the first day, but the, the, the prince of Persia, speaking about in the spirit realm, we had, a, we had this war going on, and it took me three weeks to get here. Uh, God heard your prayer when you first prayed, but he kept on praying and he kept on praying. Fifteen, the last one, unbelief or lack of faith. Matthew 17, 20, because of, he said, that because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you'll say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Because of who your faith is in. The mountain mover. We sang it. My God can move the mountains. He can move the mountains. Back to what John had to say. The certainty of prayer. When we pray in the will of God, we know that our prayers are heard. We have the answer to that prayer. There's one more thing I'd like to suggest. When we pray... And the request is made in the will of God. Then the answer is absolutely sure. And it's only a question of God's timing as to when it appears. It's only a matter of God's timing as to when it appears. And I just referred to the story in Daniel. There's all kinds of stories in the scripture where at the right moment, God intervenes. The prayer was heard, but it doesn't happen until that right moment. God reserves the time aspect to himself. Now I realize for the last 20, 30 minutes we've been talking about prayer from a negative point of view. But listen, I want you to understand that God wants us to pray and God wants to answer our prayers. Those 15 things are not God's way of wiggling out of the warranty. It's not the small print. But they are warnings to us about our attitude and our heart when we come before him in prayer. He has committed himself with promises that cannot be broken. God said, I'm not a man that I should lie, neither the son of man that I should repent. Have I not spoken? Will I not perform it? In Revelations 5 and 8, the elders who surround the throne, they have harps. Read that in chapter 5. Not only do they have harps, but they have golden bowls. And do you remember what's in those golden bowls? The prayers of the saints as incense before the Father. Every prayer that we pray as his saints They've been captured, and they're ever coming before the Lord. God wants us to pray. God wants to answer our prayer. Psalms 91.15 says this, When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. That's the word of the Lord to you today, to me. When he calls, I will answer. Isaiah 65, 24. Before they call, I will answer. While they're yet speaking, I will hear. Luke eleven nine, 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock, and it will be opened to you. John 15, 7. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I could go on for an hour. And I know that if you've been around very long, you know that's true. Scriptures where God promises he will hear and answer our prayer when our heart is right before him. To pray in the will of God. I'm spending all this time on these two verses this morning because there's something rolling around inside of me the past several weeks. And I hear a call from the Spirit that we need to be more intentional in calling on God in this day for the will of God to be accomplished in this house, in this city, and in this nation. It's not the Democrats or the Republicans or the whoever is going to save us. It's Jesus. It's a moving of the Spirit of God. There have been crisis moments in this nation when there has been a, a great awakening take place. We are in desperate need of a great awakening. And it only comes when we begin to pray the will of God. Your kingdom come, you will be done. You say, I've been praying for all, I've been praying for, don't quit. If anything, become more intentional. John said in verse John 5, 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we've asked of him. 1 John 3.22, remember I told you in the beginning that John, he doesn't teach in A, B, C, D. He goes A, B, C, then he goes back to A and spans and he keeps going in spirals. In chapter 3, verse 22, he said these same things. Whatever we ask, we receive for him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Prayer is not an attempt to get God to see things my way and extract from him what I decided I need or I want. Prayer is submitting my will to his. Prayer is not an attempt to get God to see things my way and extract from him what I decided I need or I want. We sang a song, the last song we sang, Trust in You. And I had the worship team change one of the lyrics from the author um, where the author said something about when you don't do what I want you to do. You know, what I ch we changed the words to, to what I think I need not what, because prayer is not getting God to see things my way. Although I've tried it, have you? Prayer is submitting my will to his will. Your kingdom come. How do we know the will of God? The number one way to know the will of God it's to read the Bible. It's in the Scripture. It's in the Scripture. The number one way. And if you come and tell me God told me, it better be backed up by the Scripture. Quite often I have people try to manipulate me by telling me God told me. I'm very careful 
when somebody says to me, God told me. And I'm not saying God didn't tell you something. But if it's not backed up scripturally, that means you're trying to manipulate me and take away my ability to speak counsel to you because God told me, and who am I to argue with God? That wasn't in my notes, sorry. No extra charge for that, though. I want to point out some things that we need to be praying more earnestly. And I know some of you have been praying these things for a long time, but more earnestly than we ever prayed. Number one, we need to pray for workers. What I mean by workers, Matthew 9, 37, 38, he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We live in a state, we live on the West Coast, perhaps the most unchurched section of the United States of America, Washington, Oregon, California. We need laborers to go into the fields. We need to be salt and light. God, send laborers. We need to pray souls to be saved. Is it the will of God to save people? 2 Peter 3.9, this is not, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. What he's talking about there is they lived in that particular point in time, 20, 30 years after Jesus left, they were looking for the second coming of Jesus. Why hasn't he come back yet? Why hasn't he come back yet? Peter says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slow, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's in that context, he say, with the Lord, a day is a thousand years and a thousand days is a year. Pray that God would save souls. Some of you are already doing that daily. You have a list. If you don't have one, get a list of people. People in your circle. How many have people that you know in your family or in your neighborhood who need to know Jesus? Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. We can't save them. We can be salt. We can be light. We can plant seed. We can water seed. Only Jesus can save them. And nobody comes to the Father except the Spirit draws them. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to convict them of sin and righteousness. Pray the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God would overwhelm them. Number three, pray for the healing of minds, emotions, and bodies. We live in a time where there are more, how do I say this? There is more anxiety. There's more mental incapacity because of wounds, post-traumatic syndrome, not just from war, but from abuse, from divorce, from all kinds of situations. It's it's an epidemic. But you know what? Jesus Christ, Psalms 107 says he sent his word and healed them. In that context, he's talking about people who had issues with their mind. He sent his word and healed them. Begin to pray. Jesus, well, Isaiah prophesied this, and Jesus read these verses about himself at his first time he preached in his home church after he was baptized. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the open of the prison to those who are bound. I don't think he's really just talking about those who've been locked up in 
Shelton. He's talking about people who are living in prisons that, well, you remember Matthew 18, he talked about when the man did not forgive the guy who owed him a few bucks, that they turned him over to the prison where the tormentors would torture him. How many people are living in a prison of a hurt, a habit? We need to begin to pray. God would heal people from their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups. Number two, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Verse three, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint heart, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. God wants to save people. And then God wants his purpose to be fulfilled in them. Did you know that you're God's workmanship? God created, poema is the word in Ephesians chapter 2. God created you and he created works for you to do and for you, you and I to do. We need to pray for each other. Number four, pray for brothers and sisters in Christ. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To the end, keep alert. To that end, keep alert. With all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. These verses, this verse appears in the context where Paul reminds us that we are at war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and it, as believers, we're at war. And here's the thing about war. When you go to war, you want to go together with an army. Think about people in the army, the Marines, the Navy, when they're at war, they do everything they can to protect their brother. We had a man that was part of his church for several years and moved to battleground. But Jim's Helms, in a wheelchair from the time he was about 19, 20 years old, went to Vietnam. And when somebody threw a hand grenade towards them and their foxhole, he threw himself over that hand grenade to protect his captain, saved his captain's life, and was crippled the rest of his life. That's what soldiers do. We need to pray for one another. Pray for one another. It's often been said that Christians are the only one who kill their own when they see somebody fall instead of embracing them and praying for them, discard them. We're war. Pray for each other. Pray for each other. As I was meditating on this early this morning, what we need to pray. My mind went to Revelation chapter 2, 3. In those chapters, that's where, where John has been given letters from Jesus to take to seven churches in Asia Minor. These same churches that he's writing these first epistle to. And I just want to highlight the first church and the last church, not all seven. Um, six of those, Jesus said, there's something wrong here, and, and if you don't change it and you don't repent, I'm going to come and move, remove your lampstand. To the first church, the church at Ephesus, he said this, I have this against you, that you've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned your first love. They were theologically correct but they did not have passion and the love for Jesus they did at the beginning. So when we're praying for each other, 
I want to encourage us to pray this. Pray that our love and passion for Jesus and his word ever increases. It is so easy to become complacent. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. It'll be pray that our gatherings be times of healing and refreshing. Healing and refreshing. I take this from the seventh church. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. God has a purpose for his church. A place where people are saved and healed inside and out. A place where his image is restored in us individually and collectively. That we grow into the, the maturity of Jesus Christ. The church is a place for sick people to recover. Weary people to be refreshed. It's not to be a museum for those who are perfect. Laodicea was a city in between two other cities. One was 10 miles in one direction. The other city was six miles in the other direction. Laodicea did not have its own water source. So the Romans built an aqueduct, piped this water from a mountain spring six miles away. A six-mile aqueduct in that day, pretty remarkable. If you go to Southern California, you can see one that goes for hundreds of miles concrete, but they would pipe that water from those springs down the hill to Laodicea. By the time the water flowed the six miles through that aqueduct, it was lukewarm. It was not refreshing to drink. It was lukewarm. It was not refreshing to bathe in. No one went to Laodicea for water. On the other hand, on one side of them was a place where people would go to quench their thirst and refresh their weary bodies with cold water from that mountain spring. You go the six miles and you can get the water. There's nothing quite like water out of a mountain spring, is there? If you've not been in the woods and, I mean, yeah. They would go there. On the other side, 10 miles away, was the city of Heropolis. Heropolis had natural hot springs where people with all kinds of sicknesses, and people still today, they go to hot springs anywhere because they sit in that hot springs and that stinky sulfur and things in your body begin to feel good. Healing takes place. So on one side, they had a place of refreshing cold water. On the other side, they had this city where they would, they would go and, and have this hot water to have their... So when Jesus said, I wish you were either on... He isn't just saying, I wish you were either on fire for me or you didn't love me at all. Now, that's the way I heard it preached when I was a kid. He doesn't want lukewarm Christians. You'd be fired for you. And I could never understand, well... How is it okay to not love Jesus at all and be coldly cold? That's not what he meant. He was talking about Laodicea understood. You need to be in your works, bringing refreshing, bringing healing, lukewarm. Talk to my wife about lukewarm coffee. She doesn't want any of that. God said, I don't want any. I want something that is refreshing. Something that brings healing. 
Don't settle for anything less than the presence and the power of God. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted. That's our mission. That's why we're here. It's in that context. Now, lots of times we use this to call people to salvation, but Jesus is talking to the church when he says in verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is giving us a call to communion, to fellowship with him. A communion that will lead to a quality of spiritual life. I think there's one more slide. A fellowship that leads to quality of life that has a profound effect upon the world we live. You run out of space on your paper, so you can just write communion. But a fellowship with him that leads to a quality of life that has a profound effect upon the world we live in. To be refreshing water. He said, if you drink of the water, if you come and drink of my water, you'll never thirst again. To bring healing. Cry of my heart is that in these last days that we as a church have a profound effect upon where we live because of the presence and the power of God, because we have called on him like George Mueller did, believing him for everything that we need. And the promise of our text is when we pray his will, we will have it. I want to stand and sing a prayer, then we'll pray.